Yes, good morning. If, if you weren't able to be in here at the very beginning, a couple announcements there with getting folks signed up for VBS. It's in less than a month, and then if you work at a place or can go to a place or own a place where you might be able to put up a, just a little flyer for us, uh, that would be great to get that word out. We we'll, should have it in the newspaper this week, and you'll be able to share it on Facebook and all those kinds of places as well, but uh, just know that, that that's happening soon. Okay, soon. Now, I'm excited. Um, I'm, I'm excited. I'm always excited. That's true. But um, I've never gotten to, to preach through Jonah before. I've, I've done lessons and things like that on it, but I've never been able to actually just go, go through the series, if you will, of, of all the chapters of Jonah. And so I, it should be fun. And, and I'll, we'll talk a lot about that today. Right? How many of you know, you don't need to share your, hand, share your hands. That wouldn't be fair. But how many of you know the story of Jonah? I just think about it. Just think of what you know about the story of Jonah and, and those kinds of things. Ponder that today as we open the book and kind of offer a little bit of introduction to it, all right? Here's a challenge that we have. Nearly every single week that we meet, and it's actually a challenge that I love, we've got to take whatever biblical truth that we're teaching, and we've got to teach it, we've got to show it, we've got to point to it in a way that we assume that there are people who are listening who have never, ever, 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 ever heard the Word of God before. Amen. They've never heard that truth before. Now, that's a challenge that I actually enjoy. And for those of you maybe that have been in the church a long time, and, and sometimes you hear some reoccurring themes and stuff in, in message series and stuff like that, I've heard it said by people that have attended church, boy, I wish we'd talk about something different. I wish we'd, you know, learn something new. I wish we'd you should be. You should be learning something new. That's not up to me. I will offer whatever God puts on the plate, but it's up to us as individuals, as growing members of the body of Christ to dive into God's word on our own and continually learn because we all in our back of our minds got to know there's people listening that have never heard that truth that you've heard a thousand times. And we've got to consider that as we think about it. So every time we gather, we got to figure out a way to share this message in such a way that we at least introduce them to all the basics so that they get the point, the gist, if you will, of the story completely in mind. While at the same time, yes, I enjoy the challenge of taking things that maybe we have heard countless times or maybe we grew up with and presenting things in it that maybe you hadn't really considered totally before, or maybe some nuance, nothing new, there's nothing new under the sun, but just maybe a different way of approaching the Word of God that gives us something else to think about. Some of us have heard the story of Jonah lots of times. Some of us are going to walk away today wondering, why was the pastor talking about Jonah Hill this morning, and what did happen to the Jonas brothers? I don't know, okay? I know that will happen, and that's fine. I understand that. Okay? But I really believe there's so much more in the text. If you remember growing up in Sunday school, as so many of you did, then my guess is that you probably remember the flannel graph. Yes? Who, who remembers the... You can raise your hands for that one. Who remembers the flannel graph? Good, good. We're going to reintroduce you if you don't remember here, because probably a lot of us that grew up in Sunday school can summarize the entire book of Jonah in maybe a four-sentence story right? It would go something like this. Jonah was a prophet. If you've seen the VeggieTale movies, then you know that's followed by ooh, ooh. But he really never got it, but that's a whole other song. So Jonah was a prophet. God sent him to Nineveh. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, so he hopped in a boat and took off to Tarshish. The sailors 
figured out that Jonah was the problem because there was this big giant storm. So they threw Jonah overboard. He gets swallowed by a giant whale. He repents to God. He gets spit up on the ocean. He goes to Nineveh. He gets done at Nineveh. Everybody's, everybody repents. Everybody's saved. And then he's mad at God the end. That is the story of Jonah. That's it. Four sentences. Like, how are we going to make four weeks out of four sentences? Great question. That's my job. I get to have fun with that. Very well. Very well done. I told you it'd be very fast. I wasn't lying. So, so you remember the giant well. Now, that covers all the highlights. It does. You're absolutely right. But I believe there is so much more for us to grasp within the text of Jonah than just that. The other challenge then, of course, becomes to take this story that so many of us know is just that, a story and show how God can use this example to help us grow today. This event in his word to challenge us believers in 2021 in our faith. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you, reminded you of the Great Commission, Matthew 28, beginning in verse 20. Therefore, go to all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Truth be told... That's exactly the message of Jonah that he was taking to the Ninevites. It's the exact same message minus the word baptism. It's the exact same thing. And so God is calling us to do the exact same thing that he was calling Jonah to do. What are we deciding to do? There's so much negative in the book of Jonah. And probably when you think of Jonah, those of you that have studied it, probably your main thought is the grace and mercy of Jesus. Maybe that's number one. And number two is that worthless prophet Jonah. That's really all there is that you really dwell upon. Jonah does eventually go to the Ninevites. God, he ran away from God. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. But he reveals in chapter 4, verse 2, why he didn't want to do it. It says this, he prayed to the Lord. This is Jonah speaking. He prayed to the Lord, said, isn't this what I said, Lord, while I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious. I knew that you were compassionate, and I knew that you were slow to anger and abounding in love, and I knew that you were a God who would relent from sending calamity upon these people. Now, Lord, take my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. What? How can you make any sense of that? God heals an entire nation, and Jonah wants to die? What is he thinking why did God record this for us? Why is this what we see? Was it just to reveal how bad or disobedient the prophet Jonah was? I don't think so. Was it just to reveal God's grace and mercy to an unbelieving people as they repented and came to him? Partially, partially. But is there more than that? Is there something we can learn from Jonah to actually apply directly to our lives? Something we can learn from him for today? You see, God often chooses to reveal through his word to us how not to do things. He does that quite frequently because he knows we learn that way very well, right? We don't learn from the good examples. We learn from the people that mess up. That's exactly what Jonah did. There's countless examples to the New and Old Testament. Here's just a couple. Go to the very, very beginning of your Bible in the book of Genesis. Uh, here's a lesson for you. Don't get mad at your brother because his offerings are better than you and kill him. Simple lesson to learn. Right? Let's go with a little more famous person, someone named Abraham. Don't sleep with your maidservant trying to make God's plans happen for you. Wait, be faithful. God is faithful. He will pro give you what he promised. He, we're still paying the consequences of Abraham's decision. You're reading about them in the papers right now. 
Oh, wait, nobody reads the papers. You're seeing it on the internet right now. Yeah. Here's another little simple one from a semi-famous person. Uh, Don't have an affair with someone and then kill their husband because it's going to ruin your family for generations. (laughs) God often shows us these things and saying, hey, this is the most powerful man. Don't be like him (laughs) in that regard. Do things differently. Listen to me. Trust me. I believe there's a great cultural adaptation for us as believers today through the message of Jonah. If we take what God asked Jonah to do and what God asked us to do, because they're basically the set out, they're the same thing. And we set out with the love of Jesus and the right heart and the right attitude, then Nineveh can still turn to Jesus, just like they did in the days of, 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 of Jonah. We can rejoice along with them when they do. But there's one thing that we often miss with the story of Jonah, and that's what I like to call context. Now, I completely understand why our Sunday school teachers did not teach us all about the Ninevites and the story of Jonah the person. They just had to get to the chase, and they had you know, 20 minutes or whatever they could hold our attention for to teach us the entire story of Jonah in one week. We are blessed. We don't have to do that. So we can study context. I believe it is so important. I love context. It's essential for us to understand the things that are happening culturally around in the atmosphere that Jonah is living in and why the decisions were made that were made. Thinking about the people of Nineveh, thinking about Jonah and who he was. We have never would have had the time to do that in Sunday school, but on Sunday mornings, we do. We get to dive a little bit deeper in. So I'm going to start with this. I want to start with acknowledging the skeptics. If you don't know this, Jonah is one of the most controversial books in all of Scripture, according to modern liberal theology. Now, I will be completely upfront and honest. I do not subscribe to a single tenet of modern liberal theology, and I pray that you will not fall prey to it as well. If you don't know what that is, we can have a discussion later. But here's the thing. At worst, at worst, Modern liberal theology downplays and even eliminates the deity of Jesus. It eliminates the truth behind his death, his burial, and his resurrection, all in favor of advancing human interests and human efforts in its place. And to say that that is dangerous is an understatement. And I'm going to give you one very concrete example from just a few weeks ago on Easter Sunday that was posted on Twitter by a now somewhat famous modern liberal theologian. I wouldn't agree that he's a theologian in any way, but we're not talking that. I'm telling you he's an ordained pastor and a representative of a state in this union now. And this is what he had to say about Easter, and I quote, The meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus. No, it's not. (laughs) No, It's not. Whether you are a Christian or not, through a commitment to helping others, we are able to save ourselves. No, we're not. (laughs) Okay? And that is why I despise. I think we can say, hey, we're to hate what is evil, right? Hate this theology is because this is its ultimate outcome. We can save ourselves as humans. No, no, we can't. And the book of Jonah is often characterized by modern liberal theologians in this way. It's just a metaphorical story. It's a story to teach Israel to be more open and accepting of others. Common lesson in today's culture. 
the rabbinical teachers of the day, that they had to have added things to it, right? To kind of sensationalize the story, to, to grab the attention of the listeners, right? There's no way that a wayward prophet was swallowed by a giant fish and then spit up on the shore, and then he went to Nineveh and told people the story's just too unbelievable. They reject the nature of the, the miraculous fish. They reject the nature of the miraculous plant that was provided for Noah to offer, or no, why do I keep saying that? Jonah to offer him shade. By doing so, they're dismissing the supernatural power of our God. Controlling a fish, that's not a problem for the creator of the fish, you see. It's pretty simple. The same God that parted the sea or caused the sun to stand still, which they also don't believe happened, could easily do such a thing. And truth be told, the religious leaders of the day until now have always taught that they believed that it was true. But how do we know? Great question. How do we believe? How can we be confident that this is real, that this really happened? Well, my opinion, this is strictly my opinion, you can agree or disagree, the most powerful testimony for the story of Jonah comes from a man named Jesus. It's almost as if Jesus knew the specific things that these theologians, they call themselves today, would attack and say, well, there's no way that could be true. There's no way that could be true. There's no way that could be true. Because Jesus addresses nearly every single one of them in his time on earth. He knew people would have a hard time believing the story of Jonah, and they would not be able to believe that it is true. So he specifically references Jonah by name and his story and the Ninevites in Matthew chapter 12 beginning in verse 39. Jesus has now just been challenged by the Pharisees to perform a party trick. Hey, they want to see him do some signs and wonders, if you will. His response, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Noah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. I did it again. I don't know why. I I think there's something wrong. I don't know. It just keeps happening. Whatever. Maybe so. No, it's not. It's not. Definitely not. Definitely not. Jesus compares Jonah's three days in in the fish to his three days in the tomb later on after his crucifixion. Then he assures that the repentance of the Ninevites was genuine because he's telling them that they will be there on the day of judgment and they will be condemning those people around Jesus in that day that are not believing. He assures them that that repentance is real. And then he says, oh, and by the way, Jonah was great, but now I'm here. What are you going to do about it? (laughs) They believe Jonah and you won't believe me? Ugh, bad choice. (laughs) Bad choice. So Jesus believed that Jonah was real. And that his entire story really actually happened. I am not willing to say that Jesus was wrong. It's that simple. That's why his story is so convincing. What about Jonah himself? It's an interesting thing. I know for me, it always seems like each prophet, because depending on how maybe you've studied them in your life, every prophet seems to exist on an island all by themselves with no one else around, no friends, no family, no other prophets. It's just them at the end. They all just seem to exist by themselves, and I just don't know if that was possible. Like, they never seem to interact with each other when, in all reality, those prophets existed, a lot of them, at the exact same time. They had to have at least known of each other. I don't know if they hung out together. I would think maybe they did a little bit because they were kind of outcasts, right? But here's what we, here's what we could, can ponder, at least. Jonah existed at the same time of the end of the life of Elisha. 
the second most famous prophet in all of Israel. Incredibly powerful. He had to know of Elisha. Everyone knew of Elisha. But he existed almost a colleague of sorts with Hosea and Amos, the prophets. They, they were all prophesying at the exact same time. There's one other mention of Jonah in all the scriptures. It's in 2 Kings 14, verse 23. Lots of names, lots of names here. In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Syria, and he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries from, of Israel from Labo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. This was a small village about two miles north and east of Nazareth, so even smaller than the tiny little insignificant town of Nazareth in Israel. Now, the book of Jonah doesn't state that Jonah was the author. That is implied, and for all of history, that has been the assumption that everyone agrees with. That's a traditional view, that Jonah did indeed record these words. He recorded it very uniquely, though. He recorded the entire book except for one section in the third person, maybe because he didn't want to identify himself as a writer. That's a possible. Probably wasn't too proud of his work, but he had a story to share, and it was a powerful one at that. The book itself, written in the mid-700s B.C., it's important. Because this is right at the climax of the Assyrian Empire. This is the greatest empire the world had ever known to that date. The largest completely. The Assyrians were hated by everyone. It was the largest empire in the world. Nineveh had at that point become, if not the largest, close to the largest city in the entire world. And if it wasn't already, it would soon become the Assyrian capital. Incredibly important place. You could go there today if you didn't know that. You can go to Mosul, Iraq, right on the Tigris River. That is the exact location of the great city of Nineveh. Now, I know for me as a child, I remember them talking about how big Nineveh was, but I never really comprehended it. And in today's society, Nineveh wasn't that big of a city. It says 120,000. That's about the size of Evansville. We all know the size of Evansville, so, so we can kind of relate it. Now, Evansville is way spread out compared to the few square miles that Nineveh would have been put within but to share that message with 120,000 people is, is incredible. And to think about Jonah and where he came from, this insignificant town of no one, to tell 120,000 people, it's not like he just gathered them all together like a Billy Graham crusade and big house up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and had 107,000 people all there accepting the Lord at once. Didn't happen that way. He went around the city and he told very key people of the coming um, impending doom, if you will, and those people then shared it with everyone else in the city. Assyria, the nation, hated by everyone. Why? Because they were in charge. Whoever's in charge is hated by everyone. They were particularly cruel. Absolutely, they will. And their pagan worship and their evil practices were in opposition to everything that this God of Israel stood for. So, not a big deal, right? Jonah loved telling people about this coming problem for them, but he really just liked telling the Jewish people about this coming problem. They had no problem telling the Jews about the coming wrath of God and their need to repent. That was fine. But this message was different. He felt the only message that really needed to be taken to the people was, hey, God's coming and he's going to destroy you all. Ha, 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 ha. I'm leaving. That's really all he wanted to share. That's all he felt that they were worth. It appears Jonah's biggest fear wasn't the Assyrian army. 
It was that God would actually be God and be faithful to what he said he would do, and he would allow these people to repent and be saved from his wrath. The story of the book of Jonah isn't just about Nineveh and God's mercy. It's about Jonah, the reluctant prophet who was called to preach to this great city, a message of repentance, a message of forgiveness. There's all kinds of ways you can interpret Jonah's response to God's request as he runs away. Was Was he trying to run away and hide from God? Not likely. He knows God. He knows that God is omniscient. God knows everything. He knows that God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. There's nowhere he could run and hide from God. Was he scared of the Assyrians? Maybe a little bit, but probably not much because he knew that if God was sending him on this great mission, then God would protect him. God would take care of him. One account I read said that Jonah was likely trying to force God Right, force God to choose someone else for this mission. God, that's a great idea. You should definitely do that. Why don't you send Amos? That'd be awesome. He's available. He's, he's a fig picker. He'll do a great job. You just go send Amos. Sure, he'll do a fine job for you. I'm gonna go to Tarshish. That'll be great. Or maybe he was trying to force God to just not send the message at all, as if that would work, right? Jonah did not want to deliver this message. I read earlier why, because Jonah knew that God would be true to his word that he's full of grace, full of mercy for the people of even Nineveh, that he would not bring destruction upon them. Jonah wanted them destroyed. He wanted the threat to Israel removed. He wanted the people punished. And if God got involved, that might not happen. (laughs) So he wanted to keep that from being told. We talk about the, we'll talk about more about the tragedy of Jonah's feelings later on in the series. The book opens very uniquely. No other book in the Bible opens this way with God speaking. No, not even Genesis. Begins with God speaking. We do not know how Jonah received this message at all. We have no clue. But his response indicates it was from the Lord. So if you're not there already, go ahead, open to Jonah chapter one. We're only doing a few verses from Jonah today before we dive deep into the story next week. Jonah chapter one, verses one and two. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. There's two very, very simple commands. Go to Nineveh and cry out against it. That's it. Not to condemn it, but to warn it. This cry should be filled with compassion for the hearers of this word. God's expressing his love for these people and their desire to forgive them and to restore them. He wants them to know the error of their ways. He wants them to choose him in this life. God has prepared a better way for this civilization. Destruction, not necessary, nor is it preferred by God. You see, this is the same God that inspired Peter to write in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Has some understand slowness instead he is patient with you. He wants everyone, everyone to come to repentance. We've got to remember that. That's our God. God desires that same thing today. We are now today surrounded by a culture that no longer simply ignores God, but now lives in purposeful, intentional opposition to the ways of God. Jonah was to be a witness to the evil world around him. Guess what? We are to be a witness to the evil world around us. Jonah was punished for not following God's command. Just a question. Do you think you and I might be disciplined 
for not living out the Great Commission, Jesus' command to us? Or are we just off the hook because, well, we live in the New Covenant and we don't have... Hmm. I don't think God is going to do this. I don't think God is, is going to send any great fish to come and swallow us whole. But if you're a boater, be careful this summer. That's all I can say. I don't know about Lieber, but maybe. If you're not following God's will, he can do anything. But I do think there are consequences in our spiritual lives if we're not doing the will of God. Doesn't mean we're not saved, not saying that at all. I'm saying that there will be consequences in our spiritual walk here on this earth if we're not following the will of God. I would contend to you it's likely we will not find true peace in our lives if we are not following the will of God. Sharing his word with others is absolutely his will. It's his command to us. I think it might be found in some form of spiritual frustration that we just don't know how to deal with. We feel like we're seeking God and doing what God wants to do, but in reality, he's trying to redirect us to reach out like Jonah, and we're just ignoring him, or we're just running from that command, or better yet, we're actually trying to find an easier path than what he actually wants us to do. And so we're frustrated because we feel God is distant, but God's saying, no, no, I'm not distant. I'm telling you exactly what to do, and you know it, but you're just rebelling. You're pushing against it. You're running away to Tarshish, if you will. And it's from these thoughts that God kind of gave me the idea for the title of this series. Hopefully you saw it on the banner or maybe on a post this week. I believe, I want to focus on the lessons that we learn if we love forward. I know that's an odd grouping of words, love forward. We need to move forward with the love of Jesus. Jonah fully, absolutely understood and embraced that love of God for him and his people. He got that, but he didn't want to share it. He, he wanted to keep it to himself. And truth be told, he wanted to keep others from receiving it because he felt they didn't deserve it. Have you ever felt that way? Be really honest internally here. Have you ever felt that way when you see the evil actions of someone else? Is there any compassion? within you. When you see others in this world promoting sinful lifestyles, do you see them as someone whom Christ loves and died for? When you see sinners appearing to be winning at everything they do while you struggle to make ends meet, do you have a desire to share the truth of Jesus with those people? Ask yourself internally, are we actually guilty of the same sin as Jonah. We may not be fleeing to another country, but we're certainly avoiding certain people, and we're certainly avoiding certain conversations that could lead others to Jesus. Are we avoiding serving our Lord and Savior in a, the specific way he's actually called us? Maybe to maintain some type of lifestyle or worldly benefit or status, or maybe because we're just too busy do we refuse to stand up for what's right? And I'm not talking about a, a post on social media. I'm talking about a personal conversation with someone who's posting on social media. Anybody can say anything online. Talk to them in person. See how they really feel. Are we afraid of something? Are we afraid that the cancel culture is coming after us? 
Like Jonah and the nation of Israel, are we Christians satisfied keeping our faith to ourselves and our family? We're saved. God loves us. There's no need to share it with those sinners around us. Heck, probably they wouldn't listen to us anyway. They'd probably reject what we say. And if, if we get too aggressive in our efforts, then, well, they might try to shut us down or they might try to keep us from fill in the blank. From what? From what? what are you afraid of? You and I have been loved by this incredible God. He has saved us from our sin. He gave his life for each and every one of us and for anyone, anyone who chooses him. We might have this false thought that our safety and our security as believers is somehow protected by keeping the good news to ourselves. I got bad news for you. (laughs) Never going to happen. As a matter of fact, some might argue that your safety and your security is actually intensified when you are doing the work of God and you are securely telling people, spreading the love of Jesus, his grace, and his mercy to every single person around you. Paul writes in Romans 3.29, he's speaking to the Jews here who are battling him about taking the message to the Gentiles, and he says, or is God the God of the Jews? But I'm going to put in the word Christians beside the word Jews, because I think today we would be in that same category. Paul would be talking to us as well. Is he the God of the Christians only? Is he not the God of everyone else on planet earth too? He refers to them as Gentiles. Well, yes, the Gentiles too. Our God is the only God, period, end of discussion. He is the God over all creation. He is the God over all mankind the same God that was gracious to the sailors that we're going to talk about next week, the same God that was gracious to Jonah, gracious to the people in Nineveh, the same God that has been gracious to you and to me, offered his grace and his mercy to us, desires for us to share that grace and mercy and love with our best friend and our worst enemy, whoever that may be. We have to love forward. We cannot look back and judge others for what they've done in the past. We have to love forward. We can't, as Christians, be just looking up in the sky, just waiting for Christ's return. He has commanded us to go and make disciples. (laughs) And we're not to go into the world and condemn it. That's what we're famous for. That's not our role. Our role is not to condemn those that believe the things of the world, those that follow the ways of the world. Our mission is to help them see God through his creation, help them see God through his teachings, and help them see God through us, imperfect vessels we are, they can still see God through us, the love we show them. And here's a crazy truth that scripture teaches us. Those that seem to be in the fiercest opposition to God, all of them have a divine appointment waiting for them, one way or another. They will all meet God face to face in eternity. But prior to that, there is a divine appointment waiting for them if they get connected And what's amazing is God created those people with that passion inside of them that they're currently using. They are all in, but right now they're all in the wrong thing. And God doesn't change them in that way when they come to Christ. No, he uses the way he created them and they are all in for him. And when the spirit gets a hold of them, God will use them to do more incredible work for the kingdom than they could have ever done to harm it. And all you gotta do is look at the example of Paul as exhibit A in the New Testament. Yes, Jonah did take God's message to Nineveh eventually. (laughs) And he did so full of animosity toward the people and toward God. 
We have to do it differently. We have to love forward. Approach others with the love of God. Desire them to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and then rejoice when God redeems them through his love. A very different equation than the one of Jonah. I'm really looking forward to the next three weeks and what God has put together through this series. As we learn a few lessons about Jonah, as we learn about the heart of God for all of humanity, as we are challenged to love forward out of this place each and every week into the world, which longs for the healing of our Savior. If God can turn a city of 120, he can turn a city of 8,000 or 400 or a neighborhood of 10 or a family of two or a heart of one. Father God, we love your story. We love your word. We love the truth in it. We love to see the radical change in people's lives. And Father, we must all realize that if we are currently a follower of Jesus, we are a part of that radical change. We are the messengers. We are the Jonah to our Nineveh that we live in, where you have placed us, our place of works, the families we're part of, the community that we live in. We are Jonah. We have a message to go and take to them. But how do we view the people? Do we view them as not worthy of your message? Do we view them as beyond help? There's no way they could ever be saved. If we have, then may we repent today of our sin. Our job is not to judge anyone, but Father, to take the love of Jesus to them. And Father, God, today, if there's someone listening, whether online or, or in person, that doesn't know the love of Jesus, then the message of Jonah, the message we preach here today is the love of Jesus and his sacrificial offering for them. He created them on purpose for a purpose. He loves them dearly no matter what they've done, no matter what they're doing, and he only longs for them to come to him so that he may restore them and offer them a new life in him and ultimately be with them for all eternity, experiencing the life. Father, we love you, and we pray for this time ahead.